It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Hope you had a great weekend, but what a weekend, man. Dominated by the passing of a legend, 87-year-old Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg has passed away, battling cancer three times, made a huge impact. I love that Republicans and Democrats are saying nice things, but then it quickly turned to 2020 and the election and filling the seat. And, man, there's a lot of intrigue. The markets hate it. They're down about 500 points. Lou Dobbs at the bottom of the hour. He's got so many areas of expertise from immigration to politics to business. I'll tap into what's going on there because no one could quite figure it out. Uh, Carrie Severino will be next. Man, she's president of Judicial Crisis Network, a real handle on the history of filling these seats, the precedent behind it. And I'll try to do the best I can to surround everything that's at stake and uh, all the pluses and minuses of waiting. I just talked to the president uh, for, for 45 minutes with Steve and Ainsley on Fox and Friends. We, the connection wasn't great, but you'll hear it. He talked, I'll give you an idea. He talked, said he's going to be having a presser Friday or Saturday where he's going to name his person. He says it's down to five. He went over the three, and I'll go over uh, the three that we know. But I think most importantly, he says he will definitely nominate and look for a vote. But he left open the fact that this could bleed over. He says elections have consequences, and that's all the Democrats need who will flat out off the hook over the weekend. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A number of universities right now preemptively canceling spring break. That includes the University of Wisconsin, Ohio State, the University of Florida in this state. And it comes, Hoda, as we've seen cases on a daily basis, steadily decline since late July. However, in recent days, it's starting to tick back up again, fueling concerns of a resurgence. And we'll see. I know Europe's having a problem now. Deaths down, cases flat, but the country is still plagued by restrictions. Schools almost all affected at all levels. What will it take for America to be America again? Number two. I see it affecting the presidential race very little, in part because if the court is a chief motivating issue for you, you know who you're voting for at the top of the ticket. Interesting. Uh, that's why I thought we'd put it in. Kristen Soltis Anderson. She is a analyst. She was on last night because I know where partisans stand. I want to get people who are experts in the area. State of the game. 43 days to election, nine days into the first debate. We update the race as the president heads to Ohio and Joe Biden heads to. Wait, I have it here somewhere. OK, he doesn't go anywhere. Number one. She said, dear, in every good marriage, it helps sometimes to be a little deaf. And I have followed that advice, not only in dealing with my dear spouse, but in dealing with my colleagues. Funny. RBG passes away and the fight for her seat is already overheated and overwhelming almost everything else. What's the best way forward for President Trump for the country? And should he nominate now? Wait for the lame duck or not at all? Wait for the election result. All sides weighed in. And now what do you have to say? one 408 I'm not going to take too much time here on this because I have an expert coming up shortly, but let me just outline what's happening. Essentially, the president has just said he's going to name somebody Friday or Saturday. The question is, is uh, 43 days enough to name someone, get them in committee, hear from them, have them do their tour, f- fully flush out in their background check? It won't be hard. 
uh, for at least two nominees because they've already gotten to the appeals court level, district court level, and they already had the RFBI check. Not much has changed. But then, oh, of course, it'll be heated. What, who dated who in high school? I'm not kidding. Remember Kavanaugh? They were back in high school. Remember Mitt Romney? Evidently, he got in a fight in the playground. So I'm, I would not blame any of, these, any of these finalists for saying, no, thanks. I wouldn't. And, and that's one thing I regret uh, not asking the president. I wish I said, do you, are you sure they're going to say yes? Even though this is the highest court and you'd want to aspire there, do you want, really want to have your past examined like this when they're going to go back as far as that? So they have Judge Amy Coney Barrett, uh, a favorite to some, United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit in Chicago. And they have Barbara Lagoa, and she is from the Eleventh Circuit in Atlanta, and she is from Miami. Her dad were Cuban refugees, came here, and of course, like uh, the Marco Rubio, whose uh, father and grandparents, obviously born in Cuba, came here, a great success story. Already making it clear, Senator Collins says, I'm not voting in this session. I won't vote. That's big. Senator McCaskey says, I will not vote for anybody yet. Wait for the election. But they do not rule out, neither one of them, voting in the lame duck session. So should President Trump lose and should the Senate go the Democrats' way, they will put somebody forward somewhere in the interim if they can get the votes. And I think it'll happen. Graham and Cruz say they definitely count me in. Joe Biden hopped onto the microphone and he asked for people to just show some uh, calm uh, to wait for the election. Cut three. Within an hour of news of her passing, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said President Trump's nominee to replace Justice Ginsburg will receive a vote in the Senate within an hour of her passing. The exact opposite of what he said when President Obama nominated Merrick Garland to replace Justice Scalia in 2016. At that time, Majority Leader McConnell made up a rule based on the fiction that I somehow believe there should be no nomination to the court in election year. That's ridiculous. So uh, he thought it was ridiculous. So get this. Follow this logic. So he thought it was ridiculous not to have a vote, but he thinks it's really wrong to have uh, to have a vote now. So he thought it was ridiculous that they couldn't have a vote then, but he's now it's ridiculous that they have a vote now. He's on every side of this issue. And I think the Republicans are being inconsistent with their coming back and saying we had they we didn't have the Senate then. The the American people gave the Republicans to the Senate as a counter to Barack Obama. You know, he lost everything. He lost the House. He lost the Senate. He started with everything. Nobody ever talks about that. So with the Republicans rationale is, well, we have the Senate and we have the presidency. The American people spoke. What I think is laughable is Rahm Emanuel said, well, you don't have the popular vote. Really? It's called the Electoral College system. And as I use the example many times, which is just works, we don't decide baseball games on total hits. It's total runs. And you don't say, well, I got more hits than you, but you scored more runs. It doesn't matter. Well, you got more votes because the president didn't go and try to, to the enclaves uh, in California, in New York, upstate New York. And didn't say, hey, you better vote for me. A lot of them say, no, I'm not going to vote because I know that New York's going to go a certain way. And back, it would just change the whole calculus. So I'll come back and take more on this in just a second. Carrie Severino will be here. And I don't want to take too much of her time because what she's going to do is move this whole story forward. And we're going to be pulling highlights from the president's interview with us. The other big story uh, over the weekend 
is more polls came out with the president trailing. He's uh, trailing overall now by eight points, with the well, according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's trailing in Pennsylvania. He's trailing in Wisconsin. He is increasing his voter share by most calculus, especially in Florida with Hispanics, which is great news for him. He's losing some white voters, just a few percentage points. But he won by seven with white voters over Hillary Clinton. He's actually barely, he's just uh, barely beating Joe Biden. So he needs to make up that ground. He also needs to get college-educated people. Uh, Kristen Soltis Anderson on that. Cut 36. I see it affecting the presidential race very little, in part because if the court is a chief motivating issue for you, you know who you're voting for at the top of the ticket. You know whether you want Biden or Trump making these appointments for the next four years. And you also have very high turnout already, very likely for this election. If it was a midterm, you can imagine this being something that might be very motivational in a midterm. But I think we're already going to have a ton of voters turning out in November, even before this seat came open. So what I think she, she's also saying, too, this is what they're going to say. The Democrats are going to say, you know what's that on the docket? They're, instead of talking about the pandemic, the Democrats are going to say, if you do not elect us and give us the Senate, goodbye health care, goodbye civil rights, goodbye voting rights, goodbye climate change, goodbye gay rights, goodbye women's rights, goodbye workers' rights. That's what Chuck Schumer said, and he actually wants us to believe that. But when reality... Obamacare does come before the Supreme Court the week after the election. So that is true. But for the longest time, American people looked at that and said, we can't keep our doctor. We can't keep our plan. I don't want to be fined for not taking a a program that I can't afford, whose deductibles are so high they're unobtainable, whose uh, they don't have any choice of what to get. So we'll talk about that shortly with Kerry Severino. Then Lou Dobbs will finish up the hour with you. So to say there's a lot is one of my biggest and greatest understatements. So this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I dare you to move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think it'll be on Friday or Saturday, and we want to pay respect. We uh, it looks like it looks like uh, we will have probably services. On Thursday or Friday, as I understand it, and I think, you know, the respect, we should wait till the services are over mm-hmm. for Justice Ginsburg. And uh, so we're looking probably at Friday or maybe Saturday. So this is President of the United States on Fox and Friends with me, uh, with us, about half hour ago. Carrie Severino joins us now, president of Judicial Crisis Network, former clerk to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, Carrie, I knew you were going to be busy. Man, were you busy already over the last few days? Uh, and by the way, and it's one of these things where it's not a layup. I mean, here we are closing in on an election that couldn't be more contentious and polarizing. And now this. So are you surprised the president's going to actually nominate uh, a woman Friday or Saturday? Uh, you know, obviously it couldn't get more 2020 than this, right? Things keep getting crazier. But I, I'm not at all surprised the president's going to nominate someone. And if you look at history, that's what every president in this kind of situation has done throughout American history. There have been a lot of the collection layer vacancies, almost, uh, you know, more than two dozen of them every time the president has nominated someone. And, uh, you know, what determines whether that's successful pretty much is who controls the Senate. And if you look at the president, if the same party as the White House controls the Senate, you get a confirmation. And that's what we that's what we have this time. So I think you're going to see the president obviously you know, he wants to make sure that we're not uh, in interfering with the appropriate time of mourning for Justice Ginsburg. But look, no one's ever been more ready for a Supreme Court nomination than this White House that literally just days ago finished updating and refreshing its Supreme Court list. So I think they're very easily ready to go. And the, most of the women that we think are on this short list at this point, they've recently been confirmed by the Senate. I think all of them have had bipartisan uh, majorities that confirmed them. And so the Senate has even recently considered them. So I think this actually should be a process that is, is set up to be able to go very swiftly. So I understand that I don't know much about Allison Jones rushing, but she is now in the top three. The president told us he's got five. Uh, Barbara Lago, mm-hmm. uh, Lagoa, uh, the 11th Circuit mm-hmm. in Atlantic. Can we go one by one? Could you tell me anything about her? And if you can, it's okay. Sure. Yeah, no. So Barbara Lagoa is the daughter of Cuban immigrants. She had spoken really eloquently about how her parents came here because they wanted a country that, where they could depend on the rule of law and how, what it was like trying to flee a tyranny. How her own father, because of that, wasn't able to go to law school. Now she's kind of carrying on that American dream and not only going to law school, but obviously she's been an incredibly accomplished woman, mother. She, she has been on the Florida Courts of Appeals and the, the Florida Supreme Court now on the federal 11th Circuit. So she has tons of judicial experience um, and, and I think, again, would be you know, an outstanding uh, potential pick. Another trailblazer kind of in the, in the model of uh, Justice Ginsburg herself. Okay, so Allison Jones rushing? Yeah, she is gets a lot of a lot of uh, people talking because she's so young, but she is so accomplished already. A law partner, she's someone who clerked for Justice Thomas, who I also clerked for. So you know, I have uh, a, a soft spot in my heart for all Thomas clerks, and he's of course known as as uh, being the most stalwart of the conservatives in the bench. Allison is right in that mold, and she's already making a mark on the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals now, where she serves thanks to President Trump. Uh, Judge Amy Comey uh, Barrett, uh, who is definitely a finalist for the Kavanaugh seat. Yes, yes, she was interviewed for that seat, and uh, she's someone who, again, another, these are all these trailblazing women, right? She is the mother of seven. How often do you hear that? Two of those children adopted from Haiti. In the meantime, while, while, you know, managing all of that, she has 
risen to the heights of her profession. She was a, a, one of Justice Scalia's favorite law clerks of all time. She was a, a professor at Notre Dame until being tapped for the Seventh Circuit by, uh, by President Trump. And we all remember her really contentious uh, confirmation hearing where Dianne Feinstein uh, was attacking her for her Catholic faith, really you know, running right up against the constitutional uh, mandate that there not be religious tests for office. But she was cool under pressure. She showed a lot of grace, but confidence and strength in that. And I think a lot of people were really inspired by that. And of course, she's had some wonderful opinions now in her time on the uh, on the Seventh Circuit that have been really impressive, standing up for civil rights, standing up for the Second Amendment, and so forth. So uh, those are three finalists. There's probably two more. He says he's going to pick Friday or Saturday. At which time, what kind of timeline do you think could take place? How could this play out? Well, you know, what we'll see first is they're going to have a hearing. Uh, as, as I said, these people have all been recently confirmed. So getting their, their records up to date, you know, the F, they've all had a recent FBI check uh, already for their, their current federal position. So it, I don't think it'll take a lot of time to get all of those materials updated just for the last few years since they've been confirmed. Uh, you're going to see hearings. You're going to see there's a, kind of a couple weeks and then a vote on that. But look, if you look at the history there's time to get that done. Sandra Day O'Connor herself had only 33 days between her nomination being submitted to the Senate and her confirmation. Ginsburg, 42 days. Justice Stevens, um, who, who died a few years ago, he was confirmed in 19 days. So it, it, there's time to get this done. So Democrats are not going to sit quietly. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, here's AOC, cut 16. We need to make sure that we mobilize on an unprecedented scale to ensure that this vacancy is reserved for the next president. And we must also commit to using every procedural tool available to us to ensure that we buy ourselves the time necessary. So what could they do? How could they delay it? Do you you know what she means? Uh, well, I, what, I, what I worry about is they don't mean just procedural tools. I think lately the Democrats have used a lot of non-procedural kind of uh, chaotic uh, activity and riots and things. And we've had people that were threatening that kind of that kind of thing. Uh, certainly, they're not going to make it easy. They're going to try to. Uh, they're not going to allow any unanimous consent to move forward on votes and things. But you know, that's kind of par for the course nowadays. They've used. They already are using every procedural tool they can to block even district court nominees. So are there other procedural tools, you know, that they're going to be able to employ? Gosh, they they already have it dialed up to 11. So sure, they're going to be dragging their heels every step of the way. We saw with the Kavanaugh nomination, remember, the hearings turned into, the first hearing before Blasey Ford turned into a circus because they were all interrupting Chairman Grassley. It took him an hour to get through his 10-minute opening statement. So we could absolutely say some of those theatrics and that crazy. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Easy stuff, you know, the orchestrated and well-funded uh, protests, like we had the handmaids with Kavanaugh. I don't know who, which kind of costume and cosplay they're going to bring out this time, but it'll be some, you know, depending on who gets nominated, it'll be something. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the American people have given control of the Senate 
to the Republicans and actually gave them a stronger majority after they were so disgusted by what happened in the Kavanaugh nomination in 2018. But they can't lose and another. They've already lost two. Factor. They lost Murkowski and Collins. They can't lose another, right? Uh, right. Well, I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, we're going to see that when you get a chance to look at, at any of these women and whoever President Trump picks, it's going to be very hard to go up there and say, you know, I don't think this talented, outstanding role model of a woman deserves to have a seat in the Supreme Court. It's interesting. Carrie Severino, we're going to call on you again and again and again over the next 30 days. I hope you pick up. <laughs> Put it on speed dial. You got it. Thank you. Uh, Lou Dobbs is coming up next. Uh, we're going to talk about the market. It's lost 570 points right now, and they say it's the virus, stimulus, election concerns. I want to get his take and find out about his brand-new book. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're here to protect the rights of our globe and the people who live on it so that climate is protected. A court with the kind of nominee President Trump will choose will undo all of that and not make global warming less likely but far more likely and it will come quicker. Uh, that's exactly it. Global warming with the Supreme Court justice. Uh, Lou Dobbs is host of Lou Dobbs tonight. He's going to try to make sense of Chuck Schumer, perhaps, on his show today. Uh, but he has a brand new book out. It's coming out officially tomorrow, The Trump Century, How Our President Changed the Course of History Forever. Lou, welcome back to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, great to be with you, Brian. Thanks so much. I have not spoken to you in two hours. It must have been hard, that two-hour gap between conversations. It has been difficult, but uh, thank goodness uh, you're you're, uh, saving me here. Thank you. First off, on Chuck Schumer, they're trying to say goodbye civil rights, goodbye gay rights, goodbye voting rights, uh, goodbye global warming reduction. Uh, I mean, this is a little extreme, isn't it? Uh, More than just a little, uh, as you imply. This is a Democrat party that has become the party of hate. Uh, They are uh, something that we have not witnessed since the pre-Civil War era. Uh, This is a party that is committed to changing uh, the direction uh, of public policy in this country, whether it is foreign policy, whether it is, uh, frankly, uh, the, the policing of our communities, uh, it is it's an extraordinary time in which the Democrat Party is threatening to impeach the president of the United States if he d- does what he is constitutionally required and empowered to do, which is to name a Supreme Court justice and move uh, him or her to confirmation immediately and forthwith. Yeah. You know, most most Supreme Court justices have had uh, their confirmation over the course of history done in less time than uh, is, you know, uh, than what we were going to take to get to the election day on November 3rd. So this is crazy what the Democrats are doing. And then some are threatening outright violence in the streets, burn it down, uh, you know, says, uh, you know, some of the blue checks. It's it's obvious that they are they have really had a meltdown here, and it's a very serious threat to the country. So on the Sunday shows, George Stephanopoulos actually told Nancy Pelosi what to do with this question. You kind of referred to a cut eight. 
Some have mentioned the possibility, if they try to push through a nominee in a lame duck session, that, that you and this, the House could move to impeach President, President Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting on this nomination? Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. Uh, but the fact is, we have a big challenge in our country. This president has threatened to not even accept the results of the election uh, with statements that he and his henchmen have made. This is, I mean, she, the disdain that they have for each other, President Trump and Nancy Pelosi, is off the charts. Oh, it, it's she is, she is uh, the uh, the Mad Hatter of San Francisco now. Uh, she is the one who won't accept the, the results of the election. She and her uh, and her fellow members of the party of hate have been the ones who have tried to block this president's election when that failed, block uh, his presidency's agenda, and then. They decided to just simply overthrow the president uh, through a specious uh, impeachment process that made them all look like fools. The only one who's come out of this is uh, Donald Trump as a certified, non-impeachable, non-guilty <laughs> non uh, person uh, who's been examined by the FBI, the special counsel, and in an impeachment inquiry. Who the hell could stand up to that kind of nonsense and viciousness other than Donald Trump? I mean, it's remarkable what this president has achieved. He is not only a historic president for all that he has done, and I do mean he and Abraham Lincoln share, I think, uh, the number one position in America's greatest presidents because of what he has done in his first term and because of what he has had to overcome as the Democrats have fought him every step of the way in the most vicious and unfair manner and illegal manner possible. Uh, Lou, what sold you? I mean, for example, all you business guys knew President Trump. He was always calling into your shows, and uh, mm -hmm. and you knew him personally. You got, we're in the same circles. But what sold you? Number one, as a candidate, and number two, as a president. Well, you know, to, to be clear, Donald Trump and I weren't friends. I mean, we've known each other over the years. But what sold me on him is his position on the issues, his energy, the fact that he has a record as a businessman, a developer, and a disruptor. Uh, he has a, a quick, uh, quick and gifted mind. The man, you know, I love Ryan when the, when the uh, the left talk about uh, his his record in making decisions. They, they do acknowledge that he's right <laughs> nearly all of the time, and but they say you know not that he's bright. My gosh, uh, that he makes great judgments. He makes great decisions. They say no, he has great instincts. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. It's a way not to acknowledge that he's smarter than they are, and and certainly smarter than uh, most of his. Uh, well, nearly all of his critics, uh, it's it's just stunning to see what they will not acknowledge, which yes. is staring everybody in the face. He is a great leader, a great American, uh, and uh, the greatest president ever. So, wow. Uh, so in terms of foreign policy, let's look at that. You know, some have pointed to the fact that uh, when we look when we deal with China, they are more belligerent than ever. Russia has been mm -hmm. extremely aggressive. And yet when it comes to NATO, the president has been very demanding on our allies. They look at all those three things as negatives. How do you view them? They're absolute positives, and they're absolutely consistent. I, from the moment he was elected, he said, we have to change the challenge of NATO. We have to redirect it. 
against the th- greatest threat. At that point, the threat was ISIS, which had been, uh, which was created and grew uh, uh, almost unopposed uh, under the Obama administration. And he wanted them focused. He also wanted them to take note that they had a burden here that had to be shared in defense, that the United States wasn't going to be the perpetual piggy bank uh, and policeman uh, for a recalcitrant and indolent uh, set of European allies who would do business with Russia, talk about being part of NATO, but then do nothing. Uh, he reoriented NATO and succeeded and did so in a very timely manner. Uh, he understood before anyone else that China was the real threat, that uh, the way to get uh, to a better place with them was to have a balanced reciprocal trade ag- uh, agreement. He achieved that. And then, obviously, the pandemic, uh, because President Xi Jinping refused to warn the world of the virus they unleashed on it, killing 200,000 Americans. Russia, this president has been tougher on Russia than any other president. Uh, Barack Obama practiced strategic patience. Do you remember that wonderful yeah. wonderful catchphrase for his doctrine of uh, do absolutely nothing but appease? Remember, let's, you know, I'll be more flexible after the election. Uh, it's it, as he spoke to the president of Russia. Uh, it's it, it's this president has turned foreign policy around. He has shown that three percent growth. You don't need a magic wand. You just need a bright, strong, uh, capable leader in the White House, and he is that leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the only one I know, Brian. In all seriousness, who is capable of guiding the United States uh, through his strength, his intelligence, uh, his great talent. Uh, and and great patriotic values, he is the only one who can guide this nation, I believe, successfully through the maelstrom that we see swirling around the world right now. It is. It's it's incredible what's happening. But, Lou, let me ask something. The, we sure. know how we started with the controversy with the election. No one can believe he won. Jill Stein mm-hmm. challenges. The Electoral College, the delegates actually mm-hmm. are being pushed not to honor what their states have elected. And then mm-hmm. uh, the Russians and the resulted in the Mueller probe and then it resulted in, in some from the Mueller Pope came the impeachment, now the pandemic. So between yeah. those things, the country is so divided and polarized through maybe the challenges Democrats have given him. In the second term, if he wins outright, where we're not talking about hanging chats, do you think the president will have a different approach to the next four years if we just go back to debating issues? Do you think we'll see someone who could be more, I don't know, inclusive? I think this president is greatly inclusive, uh, if, if I may say, Brian. This is a president who's done something that Barack Obama didn't. Barack Obama could not achieve the economic growth levels that he has, couldn't uh, drive unemployment to the lows that he has, historic lows. The president, remembering his campaign, said he would be a president of all Americans. He has lived up to that. The lowest unemployment rates for blacks in, in, in history, the lowest unemployment rates uh, for Hispanics in history, the lowest unemployment rates for women in 65 years, the lowest uh, matching, the lowest unemployment, uh, general unemployment number, 3.5%. He's driven growth. He's shown that he can sustain it. Uh, he has taken every body blow and ended up stronger, Uh, And he is more resilient than any leader I've ever seen. And he is exactly what the country uh, needs. He will lead this country further toward its destiny. 
That's why I wrote the book that's the Trump century, whether it is the federal judiciary in which right. he is voting more judges than ever, whether it is the fact that you no longer hear people talking about free trade that costs this country trillions of dollars in lost economic growth. We built China, for crying out loud, with our trade deficits and their theft of our intellectual property by the trillions of dollars. Uh, he is t- he has turned this country in a very pragmatic way by the way not an ideological way right. he has turned this country to the to the uh, business of creating wealth for all Americans creating opportunity uh, we are watching we're watching the lowest quintile of uh, earners in this country moving and progressing right. up uh, through to uh, to middle class uh, it, it's just he is doing the right things in the right way. Think of whether it's arguing with Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve about interest rates. Who was right? It was Donald Trump who was right. Jerome Powell was wrong. The Fed raised rates. They would have broken economic growth if if they had persisted as the left-wing media clucked because this president was arguing with the August Federal Reserve. The August Federal Reserve was wrong because they were raising rates when there was no inflation or threat of it at all. And now they have backed off. You know, this new policy they adopted, that was the Trump policy three years ago. It's really, and he gets no credit for it. It's the, it's the darndest thing. So here, uh, the, the vibe with Tony Lou Dobbs, his book is out tomorrow. It's called The Trump Century, How Our Presidents Changed the Course of History Forever. So Bill Gates, famous Microsoft founder, came out yesterday, and he, he's a pandemic expert apparently, and said <laughs> this about what are the, how poorly America has done. Cut 40. You're saying that the travel bans made the situation worse, not better? Yeah, so when you have people realize that the flights are going to start to get canceled and if they don't, the citizens and residents, if they don't come back right away, you get a rush. And that's where you really need to do like uh, South Korea, Australia did, where you take those people and you test them. uh, And if you can't test them, you put them in quarantine. If they test positive, you put them in quarantine. We didn't do that. We didn't have any community testing. Uh, We didn't have the scale of testing, which would have required the commercial providers And so that meant that March saw this incredible explosion, uh, the West Coast coming from China and then uh, the East Coast coming out of Europe. Uh, And so even though we'd seen China and we'd seen Europe, uh, that testing capacity and clear message uh, of how to uh, behave. So we got that. He said the bans forced everyone to sprint here quickly. Yeah. You know, you did the most, uh, I, I think, the greatest job of interpreting what he said, because he sounded like Joe Biden there. He got so lost in his syntax, he had no idea in heck what he was saying. By the way, March was not the issue. The issue was January 31st, when the president of the United States, against uh, all the Democrats, must, much of his party, and, and most of the uh, public health establishment, put in a travel ban against China. If he had not done that, we would have lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands more Americans. Uh, He needs credit for that. I I don't know what Bill Gates is trying to say, because the fact of the matter is, uh, let's go back to that point. In January, when he did that, he was he was accused of being a xenophobe. There were court challenges. Uh, he was a racist uh, and a, a terrible, terrible person for trying to save American lives. And it's been proved, and uh, Anthony Fauci even agrees. 
if he hadn't done it, uh, the situation would have been far, far worse. Uh, the reference to Europe, uh, the, the fact is that it went around the world. It's a global pandemic, I hate to inform uh, Bill Gates. Uh, and I don't understand why no one asked him as he said that, what would you have done differently? Because he was uh, he was an ex just as big an expert on pandemics then as he is now. Why why this late uh, burst of uh, knowledge uh, and uh, cleverness that would have saved uh, so many Americans if uh, only he had spoken up? It, it's nonsense. Uh, he's being an ideologue, and that's unfortunate. So, Lou, I look forward to watching you tonight, hearing more about the book, and I hope you can come back on too. Uh, it's called Anytime. the Trump Century: How Our President Changed the Course of History Forever. And you can always follow Lou at. Lou Dobbs. Lou, congratulations. It's really a great job. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Great to, great to be with you. Thank you. When we come back, your calls. Don't move. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Brian's on uh, listening on WRCN. Hey, Brian. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. You know, lean the other way on this vote. Is they're going to be in jeopardy, and and that's that's huge. And and um, you know, it's, it's, when I also uh, I don't know if you uh, you're from Long Island. There's a subcounty professor, Nicholas Giordano. He has a, a PAS report podcast. He it brought into focus for me it, during that podcast. I implore everybody to check it out. And it, it's just it, if if we go and do this, and and we're not sure, and, and that's why I'm so glad the president gave some pause this morning, because if, if he goes and announces, and then, and then we lose, we lose that decision. We lose those seats in the Senate, too, and, and, and coming up to what's about to happen to our country, I mean, it could be just catastrophic. Oh, I know, considering to get rid of the col- uh, get rid of the Electoral College, they will make Puerto Rico a state, they'll make Guam a state, uh, American Samoa a state, Washington, D.C. a state, they, in order to lock up their electoral, what they think would be their electoral advantage. Uh, it'll be a disaster, but we'll see what happens, because the president thinks he can get it done, but would not rule out waiting to the lame duck session. Uh, and we'll see. Mike, listen on WNDB, Daytona, Florida. Mike. Hey, Brian. I wonder if one more conservative judge will give ju- uh, Supreme Court Justice Roberts cover. Yep. You know, it, does he vote last every time, Brian? I don't know. As the as the uh, as the chief justice, the, he is. He, he's become the Anthony Kennedy of the court. Yeah. Because if it's five to three and it, and it gets to him, you know, Brian, he could just sit there and jump on the side of the five and look like a conservative. When if it was four to four, he had every intention of going the other way. I don't trust the guy. He's flipped so many times. And, you know, he's a chameleon. And I think one more judge, conservative judge, gives him cover. It does. And then the, the Democrats win. They're going to fatten up the court. They got to jam it full of justices, diminishing all their impact. That's why the Republicans have to win the Senate, place that in the seat, and the presidency. It'll be an inside straight. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. From New York and heard around the country, heard around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What a weekend. Michael Goodwin on deck to talk about it. Uh, Also, we have some breaking news in New York about what the federal government is doing here, denying federal dollars because they don't crack down on crime. And they're 100 percent right. Mark Penn, a pollster for the Clintons. But, man, he is really fair and balanced when it comes to uh, where the public mindset is. And the way he does it gets tremendous respect on both sides of the aisle. Then we'll talk a little football with Tiki Barber, former New York Giant great. Of course, the big news over the weekend, even if you're not a New York Giant fan, but Saquon Barkley, one of the quality people in all of sports, tore his ACL, it seems. Tiki Barber can relate to that, having great promise and having injuries and other things get in your way. He'll talk about that. Uh, So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A number of universities right now preemptively canceling spring break. That includes the University of Wisconsin, Ohio State, the University of Florida in this state, and it comes out as we've seen cases on a daily basis steadily decline since late July. However, in recent days, it's starting to tick back up again, fueling concerns of a resurgence. Deaths down, cases flat, but the country is still plagued by restrictions. Schools almost all affected at all levels. What will it take for America to be America again? Number two. I see it affecting the presidential race very little, in part because if the court is a chief motivating issue for you, you know who you're voting for at the top of the ticket. Uh, There you go. Kristen Soltis Anderson bringing an analyst in. State of the game. 43 days to election, nine days into the first debate. We update the race as the president heads to Ohio. And Joe Biden heads to his basement. Number one. She said, dear, in every good marriage... It helps sometimes to be a little deaf. And I have followed that advice, not only in dealing with my dear spouse, but in dealing with my colleagues. Uh, RBG passes away after the fight with cancer finally falls short. What a what a battle she was at 87. It's kind of heartening to see both sides praise her. But now we have an overheated, overwhelming, almost everything else battle for her seat. What's the best way forward for the president of the United States and for the country? Should he nominate now? Should he wait for the lame duck? Should he just wait to see who wins the election? Wait for the election results? All sides wait in. What say you? So Michael Goodwin joins us now. Michael, here we are in this heated time in America, and now you have four and four on the court. This country might need that seat to decide who the next president is, correct? That's absolutely right, Brian. Uh, When you look across what some states are doing uh, in terms of this universal mail-in, you've had court rulings that uh, make it easier to cheat the use of these drop boxes, the harvesting techniques. Uh, The New York Post had a a story recently about an an admitted fixer of elections from New Jersey. Uh, We didn't name him, but uh, we certainly know who he is have been able to verify his work history, and he told about how it, how easy it is to manipulate the, the system already, and that the mail-in ballots uh, are a goldmine for those who want to cheat. So 
There are likely to be many disputes. Uh, both sides, the president and, and Joe Biden, have lawyered up heavily. Uh, there's uh, armies of lawyers at work already for both teams, uh, fighting what's going on in some of the states and, and otherwise supporting. I mean, Pennsylvania is a great example of what happened there because the, the judges are elected in Pennsylvania to the Supreme Court. Five of them ran as Democrats and two of them as Republicans. The final vote on this set of changes there uh, that allow these drop boxes and other lenient uh, things that are, in effect, removing the guardrails of ballot security, uh, the final vote was 5-2, Democrats 5, Republicans 2, just as they were elected, and it was a straight party-line vote on ballot security issues. Um, And it wasn't even a piece of legislation that they were ruling on. So Republicans control both houses of the legislature, have a majority. These were lawsuits brought on the outside by Democratic groups, supported by the Democratic governor, and they made it all the way to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and were approved. Uh, So the election in Pennsylvania is already now, I think, thrown into some question because of these moves. And they're suing. (laughs) And uh, they're suing to get Pennsylvanians to not mail everybody ballots. Um, here's what, uh, what Justice Ginsburg said when Merrick Garland was up for that seat uh, with uh, President Obama put him up in 2016. Eight is not a good number. Uh, I think we hope that we'll have nine as quickly as possible. And meanwhile, she also said, um, I think that he is about as well qualified as any nominee in the court. Super bright and very nice, very easy to deal with, and super prepared. He'll be a great colleague. And uh, about the Senate, that's uh, that's their job. There's nothing in the Constitution that says the president stops being the president in his last year. So the president, with 43 days, left as president. Then there's a lame duck session. There's no doubt about it. He's going to look for, to nominate somebody. This is what he told Fox and Friends, which I am on, so us about two hours ago. Cut one. I think it'll be on Friday or Saturday, and we want to pay respect. We uh, it looks like it looks like uh, we will have probably services on Thursday or Friday, as I understand it. And I think you know, the respect, we should wait till the services are over mm-hmm. for Justice Ginsburg, and uh, so we're looking probably at Friday or maybe Saturday. So he's going to go ahead and do it. Do the Republicans in your mind look like hypocrites because they said it's not right in the last year for Obama to do it and they're letting the president Trump do it now? Well, look, I think there is there is a bit of hypocrisy all around. I mean, the Democrats, both sides have switched arguments. Uh, So this is power. This is power politics. This is, uh, you know, both sides. These are legal positions. There's nothing wrong. You you can argue both sides of this. Um, I think one of the questions that uh, those who are criticizing Republicans now, uh, what would Democrats have done in 2016 if they had had the Senate? Uh, what would what would they do now if this were their president and this were their uh, Senate? <clears throat> so I, I think it's it's not about a moral argument uh, either way. It's it's a legal argument. It's a political argument. And I I think just as the President Obama. <clears throat> 
excuse me, President Obama did nominate Merrick Garland uh, as a Democrat. Uh, Mitch McConnell, as a Republican, chose not to uh, follow the advising consent process and allow any hearings. That was power politics. We have now power politics the same way. You have a Republican president. You have a uh, Republican Senate. And, and you, you know, Brian, as others have pointed out, this has happened numerous times in history. This just didn't start in 2016. Uh, there have been as many as 29 different times in the final year of a president's term where the president had an opening in the court and nominated someone. Uh, Ted Cruz says it's 29 out of 29. I haven't done the count myself. But 20, 29 times is a lot of times for vacancies in the final year of a president's term. And presidents seize that opportunity every time. So, uh, you know, when you look at this historically, it's not a big deal. But, of course, we have no sense of history in this country anymore. Uh, nobody knows anything. Nobody knows history. All they have is an opinion and an agenda. And I think this is one of those cases where, at least with the court, we should know what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and by the way, the Democrats are not knuckling under, to say the least. So you have a very exercised electorate now. And the question is, if you get one of these nominees through and it motivates the Democrats to the point where they win the presidency and the Senate, and they're able to turn around and, and stock the court, double the size of it, add three more justices. If they're able to make D.C. a state or get rid of the Electoral College, maybe make Guam, American Samoa, and Puerto Rico a state and everything else they plan on doing, is it going to be worth it? Well, look, I think they're going to do these things anyway. Um, the Democrats have now declared war on the American institutions. Uh, they are they are not throwing bricks. They are they, as the people in the streets are, but they are they have the same goal to upset all of these institutions, to change the way everything, to change the way we look at ourselves, at the world, at our own history. And so I don't doubt that if Chuck Schumer is the majority leader and Nancy Pelosi is the speaker and Joe Biden's the president or Kamala Harris is the president, uh, they are going to do many of these things as quickly as they can. Here it's is very unusual. You know, that yeah. was the whole point, Brian, of having the 60-vote filibuster rule in the Senate. It was the requirement for a consensus. Sixty percent is a good consensus. If you have 60 percent of the American people supporting something, that's a consensus, and you have the will of the people. But when, when Harry Reid reduced it to 51 uh, for circuit court judges, that opened the door, and Mitch McConnell further reduced it to 51 for Supreme Court justices, majority. Now you're talking about doing 51 for any piece of legislation, such as the House has. So that is going to be the new standard, and it's all owing to this incredibly uh, bitter polarization that's gripped this country. And it's tit for tat, uh, each side getting its licks in when it, when it has the opportunity. And I think for this to change is going to require a sort of a, a some sort of peace, some sort of unifying spirit in this country, which so far is sadly lacking. Well, it will be a decision that is uh, comes to the Senate. We first have to win the majority before that can happen. But once we win the majority, God willing, everything is on the table. It's it, it will be scary. I mean, it'll yeah, be scary yeah. for the country. Not so much well, what, they're, what the legislation, quickly, Brian, what they're going to blow up. 
Yeah, if I could just say quickly, look at look, when when the impeachment that we witnessed last or earlier this year, that was purely partisan. That was unique. Uh, so it's not as though the Democrats have, have not done everything in their power. Look at the way Nancy Pelosi talks about the president. No speaker of the House in modern history has ever spoken about a president. No okay, she, okay. she still talks of him as a, as a Putin agent. Uh, this is disgraceful. She talks of him yesterday as like an infection. I mean, this is, she will not speak to the president of the United States. I mean, what what? disgraceful conduct is that and yet oh that's you know that's normal that's normal because donald trump is so abnormal no 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 democrats have to own their own behavior in these things and right. this is not a one-way street both both parties are at war with each other uh mike thanks so much michael goodwin appreciate it you can always get his columns uh at the new york post fox news contributor m goodwin underscore ny post thanks michael my pleasure, Brian. All right. My, uh, Mark Penn's a, a pollster. He's got seven things that will decide this presidential election. He's going to go over that and tell us where this country is trending and what is at risk for the president uh, and not at risk for the president when it comes to this nomination with this suddenly open seat on the Supreme Court. But next is you, one 408 Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. For the Republican majority, just 44 days before the next presidential election to rush through a new justice in a partisan confirmation process will further divide our country, will further challenge the legitimacy of the court, uh, and I think would dishonor Justice Ginsburg's legacy. Yeah, well, that's fine. Um, there we go again. We're getting some echo. I'll just lessen that that uh, I left when one of the TVs up. My fault. It's all set. We're OK now. You can send Pete back. Uh, Pete quickly scrambled in, but I was able to get that. What happens is I have three TVs. This remote should only be working for one TV, but I, I got it down, Pete. It's okay. Now back to our Zoom positions. It really scares Pete. He'd rather just sit in the control room and not have to come into the studio, so this really bothers him. I'm going to get to your calls in a second. Just some uh, relatively breaking news you might not have digested yet, but I think it's really important. What do Portland, Seattle, and New York have in common? They all have refused to support their police, in bringing these riots to heel. They've allowed Antifa and Antifa-like organizations to wreck this place. And whether it's smashing windows on a daily basis like Portland or Seattle with the autonomous zones and forcing businesses to stay shuttered because they're just making it too inhospitable to go. So the federal government said, the Justice Department said, okay, I don't think we're writing big checks to them unless they can give their citizenry some type of security. So New York, which is no doubt about it, their tax base has been starved. They've been very slow to let businesses back, and they deserve what they got. Now they won't be less federal dollars. So expect Governor Cuomo to make a, uh, to go in front of the cameras and all these other Democratic governors and mayors to go in front of the camera, shed a few tears, and talk about how Attorney General Barr should be impeached. He's doing his job. You don't want federal agents there to suppress the, the craziness, Okay. Now, you don't want National Guard to use it, which you have at your beck and call. Okay. 
I'm not going to write checks with American taxpayer dollars for you to use them for your own socialistic programs. I get it. Joe, listen on WRCN on Long Island. Joe. Brian, good morning. I want to talk about the Supreme Court uh, pick. I can't believe we're even debating this. This is like a layup. You know, wake up, Republican Party. Your party's done if Trump doesn't win anyway. Uh, you know, Brian, I got a couple analogies. I mean, shoot the puck into the empty net. It's like standing on the one-yard line and not punching the ball in, dancing there. It's like going out on a date. You do the dinner, the movie, well, Joe, dancing, you go back. Joe, to you deal. it's obvious, but let's just play this out. Because what you do, for example, the president doesn't become president if Mitch McConnell does not hold that seat open. It motivated evangelicals who might have evangelicals who might have had a problem with President Trump because of his high profile background, need to say. And they say, well, we know what he's going to do. He named the judges. It's worth it. So when you have Scott, Scott Rasmussen said this, and I was kind of surprised, who, by the way, is a fan of the president and his polls are the president is a fan of his polls. Quote, I think the president should come out and say, I want the American people to decide this. I'm going to nominate someone who I'm uh, after I'm reelected. Here's who I'm thinking of nominating. By the way, I want to specifically hear from Joe Biden and find out who he's going to nominate. That's what Scott Rasmussen says the polls say, Joe. But you see it different. He's wrong, Brian. Democrats robbed us of a duly elected president. They ran through impeachment. They robbed us, the people who voted for President Trump. Trump did all the work, and he doesn't get the We don't get the reward. Everything's on the line anyway. They're going to pack the court like you said and Michael Goodwin said. I wouldn't vote for any Republican who doesn't put this confirmation through immediately. Just deal with it. Do it. Get it over with. This all is right. All right, Joe. Joe, thanks. Got to get somebody else in. Mike, FM News Talk 97.1 in St. Louis. Mike. Uh, yeah, I kind of have to agree with Joe. You know, when we elected President Trump and any president, they're elected for four years, not for three years. They have a duty and they have the responsibility to do for those four years. And the same thing goes for the Senate. We didn't elect them until September-ish. They were elected for a term. And during that term, the Republicans need to stand up and do what they're elected to do because you know the Democrats will do it, and they will even do beyond what they're able to do under uh, their position. Well, Lamar Alexander, thought to be a key vote, said, yes, I'm in. I agree with Mike in St. Louis. But Murkowski and Collins said no. If Romney says no and no Democrats come aboard... I don't think they can do it. I mean, they'll be down to 50. We'll see what happens. It's going to be an exciting week. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I see it affecting the presidential race very little, in part because if the court is a chief motivating issue for you, you know who you're voting for at the top of the ticket. You know whether you want Biden or Trump making these appointments for the next four years. And you also have very high turnout already, very likely for this election. If it was a midterm, you can imagine this being something that might be very motivational in a midterm. But I think we're already going to have a ton of voters turning out in November, even before this seat came open. We'll see. They always predict that. Uh, that was uh, Kristen Solis 
uh, Anderson, and she is a, I want to get somebody just to be a political analyst rather than a partisan, which is why I'm, it's always great to talk to Mark Penn. He served as a pollster with the Clintons from 95 to 2000, but he's moved on to bigger and better things. He's managing partner of the Stagwell Group, chairman of the Harris Poll, and author of Microtrends Squared. And he's got this great article out. He's talked about the seven keys to victory for the, in the presidential race. Mark, welcome back. Thank you. Mark, the one Good thing you here. didn't uh, anticipate was the passing of Justice Ginsburg. Do you believe this yeah. is going to be – is that going to be your eighth? Uh, well, you took the words right from my mouth. Yeah, I'm going to have to add an eighth, right, who maneuvers the issues relative to the Supreme Court better. And, and I think that Democrats, I think, right now are showing a lot of uh, increased momentum. It, it was a – you know, a liberal court seat. I think they're defending a seat that they feel could be taken, you know, from them. And so consequently, I think you're seeing more energy among an electorate that that was showing more lethargy. Now, whether or not that's going to continue or be reversed, that's going to be how this thing plays out. Because the nomination process gets emotions going, blood going. And then, of course, the actual vote, if it takes place before November 3rd, very interesting to see how that goes, because you could say, hey, uh, this president's done everything he wanted, promises made, promises kept. The other thing is, what if you let it play out and you nominate, but you vote after the election? Will that motivate Republicans to come out like they did for the Scalia seat? Well, I think that's some of the open questions here. Uh, I think that both parties are capable of overplaying their hand, and I think that they're both capable then of getting their hands slapped by the, by the electorate that generally wants bipartisanship, people getting together. They want justices more or less who interpret the laws, don't make them by, by overwhelming per percentages. And I think if the Democrats say they're going to pack the court and take out all the stops, if they, don't, if they don't get their choice, that could hurt them. I think if Trump puts in too conservative a, a nominee, that could hurt him. I think these things are, haven't played out yet. I think Barbara Lagoa is probably the front runner if, if the president wants to use this to pick up more swing voters as opposed to reaffirm his base. Yeah, because she's a Hispanic Cuban descent. Great personal story. Nobody questions anybody's intellect here. It's not a no offense to Harriet Myers, but she was ill-equipped to fill that seat. And that was uh, that just blew up. I don't think anyone looks at the quality on the surface. Uh, with the final five, even though we only know three of the names. He told us today he's going to make the nomination Friday or Saturday, and we'll see what that does. Mark, the other thing I'm just concerned about before we get to your seven is Democrats say we're not going to remove anything. from the. We're going to get rid of the filibuster. Uh, maybe Washington, D.C. estate, American Samoa estate, Guam estate, Puerto Rico estate. Uh, we will uh, get rid of the Electoral College. You know, things like we'll pack the court. Things like this, they say, is on the table. In these extraordinary times, do you doubt it? Well, look, people say a lot of things during these campaigns. I think that, again, overplaying their hand, saying those things, I think, creates a weakness. I just did a poll where I asked about the Supreme Court. 65% actually said they were satisfied with the way the court is working, as opposed to 70% who said they were dissatisfied with the way Congress was working. And so the blame for holdups now and for problems is mostly on Congress, not the, not the courts. And the kind of reforms that people ask for uh, relative to the court would be, well, maybe there should be a retirement age, or maybe there should be fixed terms. 
those are the kinds of neutral reforms that people would see helping the system work as opposed to something like packing the court that would just take partisanship to the next level. It would, but it would be unstoppable, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't know what's stoppable and unstoppable anymore. So, right. uh, so I'm not going to comment on that one. All right, so Mark, you break down seven keys to victory in the presidential race. First, on likability, you said Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were equally uh, less uh, not likable. Dislike. So they cancel yeah. uh, cancel each other out. But what about now? I think, look, Trump has a clear likability deficit. You know, he gets a favorability, you know, in the high 30s, low 40s. But but when I ask the question, do you like him? Only about 30, 31 percent say they do. And that's probably the biggest thing weighing down his reelection. That's a clear negative for him versus Joe Biden. Where's Joe Biden at? What number does he come in at? Uh, he, he, you know, it's interesting. I don't have the pure likability, but but he's kind of in the mid 40s. So, so he's got an advantage. And if you take something like uh, bringing people together, he's going to have a 20-point advantage. Those things that have to do with, with being likable and softer, you know, Joe Biden uh, wins those as opposed to, you know, the economy, which is really Trump's strength here. No matter how many points well, Biden is ahead on the vote, Trump is ahead on who would manage the economy better. And so – so that's really where he wants this election to be fought out. So now let's talk about the coronavirus. You said the president started off strong, dipped, and was starting to come back a little bit. The Woodward book comes out, hurt those numbers. We still have 43 days left. If you're in the Biden camp, I know they want to, they want to run on the pandemic. What do you do if you're Trump? Well, uh, if you're Trump, I think you keep going with where you're going. You keep trying to you know, show that you're on top of the virus. I think when he abandoned his daily briefings, and that's really when he started to sink. And for every point he sunk on the virus, he sunk a point on the in the presidential race against Biden. It seems to be, since it's the issue that overturned almost everybody's lives here, single most important issue. He was doing fine. He sunk to 41. Now he's up to 43. He could get to 45. And obviously he's bet on the vaccine. Uh, he can't really hurry a vaccine beyond what the phase three trials are on. But the truth is he did bet on it. And, and if that bet comes comes to pass in a responsible way approved by the FDA, no question he's going to benefit on it because that's where he put his resources. Mark Penn with us. Mark, the other area you have is is um, you have. And by the way, uh, Biden with the overwhelming seen as the person who will bring the country together by a 20 point margin. You said they had Bush had that and Barack Obama had that. Whether they did or not, I don't think Barack Obama brought the country together, but he talked a great game. Uh, Biden talks a better game. Well, whether they talk a better game or not, I was just pointing out that being a uniter, not a divider, has been for both parties the winning message, regardless of whether or not by the end of their term people were really seen as having done that. It worked for Bush. It worked for. Now, that's not Trump's Trump's message. He may say it occasionally, but that's not what they they see. It's a little bit more. I mean, clearly, clearly Biden's message. And then the, the question is, you know, can he really produce it? Can he produce the kind of a political harmony which which really goes back to 
who's going to support bipartisan solutions? If it's no one, then these choices become more difficult for the swing electorate that wants to see more bipartisan choices. Well, it's a bloodbath on, in Wall Street right now. 833 points. The market's off. That's a side note. I just want to give people an idea of what's happening. Uh, this The most intriguing number here for me, for you, uh, that you put out, social justice and civil unrest. In the beginning, Biden was winning this big. But things are show, are changing a little bit as people get look at this unrest and are really unsettled by it. You know, I, I think there's no question that when you ask people, well, who's going to bring it together? Who's going to do more for racial or social justice? Biden wins on that. But in terms of the law and order message, the president was a little too far to the right on that. But Nevertheless, I think it's it's closing on that because what, what we really saw was the favorability of Black Lives Matter has been diminishing from poll to poll, the favorability of the police increasing from poll to poll, and 70 or 80 percent saying, look, we want people who violate the law prosecuted. And, and I think that their, their feelings about that, I think, really underscore that, that he's coming up on that issue. But remember, I still think the virus, the pandemic – those are the key issues of this election. These are probably second, third, and fourth tier issues. Yeah, yeah. See what happens, judging as long as nothing else uh, Titanic happens. But the the daily unrest in Portland, Seattle, and New York, and the the pushback that the administration is giving now by taking away federal dollars will bring that back. Now, in suburban voters, and when you look at what sex and who's losing what, they say the president's gaining on Latino votes. He's losing a little bit in white votes. He's losing a little bit in women and seniors. Correct. Uh, correct. I think the most the most interesting thing here is, look, the president's holding on to the working class, but suburbanites defected in the in the midterms are you know are still a distance for him, for him to get. But seniors who supported the president, I think, very strongly last time, show a lot more weakness against Joe Biden, who who after all does much better among the senior community from his personality uh, and other reasons. And and then I think, but the Latino community. You know, looks to be, and you look at Florida, moving into the president's camp, and that's really probably, those are probably the two biggest surprise moves. And, and that's also why, if he went ahead with Barbara Lagoa, he, he probably would reinforce that, that change as opposed to underscoring his base. I understand that, too. And by the way, he's still trailing with the Latino vote, but it's just rising. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is this is a electoral college. Everyone wants to talk about the popular vote. It doesn't matter. It's like deciding a, a baseball game in total hits instead of total runs. It's a totally different campaign if you're going for popular vote. But having said that, when it comes to these uh, these battleground states, there's one person that's going and knocking on doors, and it's the president. And in this virus times, Joe Biden's team has made it a conscious effort not to do that. Will Will the president's appearances and will the knocking on doors help him there? I think there's no question that, that him going out and campaigning, you know, look, it helped him last time, holding constant events in the area, generating supporters and, and people. Look, I, I think it, it, it proved its worth last time. I think it's going to prove its worth this time. Is it enough to get over the top? You know, if the, if the national race is two or three points, then the Electoral College itself might might come out with a different result. Over two or three points, it's really hard for the Electoral College. Who's winning right now, Mark? Uh, right now, you'd say Biden is ahead. You know, he's he's in the six to eight point range. Some of these swing states are two, three uh, points, I think, uh, you know. And so really, 
Trump needs to close another three or four points here, whether it's through the Supreme Court or through the debate or through the campaigning or the daily events that, that seem to be nonstop here. Uh, but without that two to three, two to four point closing, he's right now behind. He loves to run as a challenger, even though he's the incumbent, and he gets to run as the challenger this time because Biden has a clear lead, like it or not. Follow him at Mark underscore Penn. Mark Penn, always great to have you on. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, coming up next, uh, Tiki Barber, outstanding talk show host, outstanding running back, Giants all-time leading rusher. We'll talk about football and how you might be able to zoom in some very important sports celebrities into your party. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Second and ten, Barkley back in there. Start of the second quarter with the Bears in front, 10 nothing. Jones on a handoff. Barkley gets to the hole. Flag down. Slowed down and then slammed down along the sideline. And Barkley is down. Saquon Barkley just took off the helmet. And immediately the officials called over for the team's athletic trainer. Well, and it looks like he did tear his ACL. It looked really bad, and you could tell they could barely carry him off the field. Saquon Barkley, and probably the most talented running back in the league. Tiki Barber would know better. He is the Giants' all-time leading rusher, over 10,440 yards in his career, all-time leading rusher for the team, uh, and co-founder of Thuzio, which we're going to talk about shortly, and also a great talk show host in his own right. Tiki, what were your thoughts when you saw Saquon? Sad and Brian, you know, obviously we've seen him over the last couple of years do some amazing things from his rookie of the year season in 2018. Last year he battled through some injuries, but he's so big and dynamic and fast and game-changing. To see him go down like that and know that uh, his season is over and next year uh, we're going to have to wait to see that he if he can re- re- rebound. is It's just disheartening because he's such a great kid to go with a great athlete. I know. And, and Dale had one other running back on the roster. How does that happen? Well, I mean, there's two others on the roster, but Wayne Gallman was made inactive. I'm not exactly sure why Wayne Gallman from Clemson. Um, he's not on the COVID list. He's not on the injury list. And I'm not even sure he traveled. So I think they had their their, their backup fullback as the emergency third running back. But, yes, uh, they, had a, they, they were a little bit short. And they still almost won, which is encouraging but still discouraging because they're 0-2 and they lost one of the great young running backs in football. Right. So, Tiki, I do want to get to some of the other things. What about the names on the back of the helmets and all this stuff you're seeing in football? Would you have been comfortable with that, being that what's going on right now? Or do you worry that the ratings are re- the ratings dip are related to that? Well, the ratings dip fell. It was 15% week, year over year last week. And it would be naive or just blind of us to say it has nothing to do with politics, that it has nothing to do with you know, the president's fan base uh, listening and adhering to what he's saying. But I think I would be comfortable. It's a personal decision um, to highlight something that's important to people. And it's a, it's a subtle way of protest. It's not the Colin Kaepernick take a knee or, or some of these other players have. It's a subtle way of protest. And as we all know, that's our First Amendment right to air our grievances to our government or hopefully those that are paying attention. All right. Um, Tiki, also, you, you're a businessman. You're a talk show host. You're a great athlete and a dad and a husband. But Thuzio is something that you launched. 
And tell yeah. us if there, there are different times that you can now, you've morphed your company to allow some of these professional athletes to zoom into different events, correct? Yes. Yeah. You know, Brian, it's, it, we, we morphed it because we had to. We're a live event company. We used to do 50 or 60 events a year across the country, but with the coronavirus pandemic, we, we can't have in-person events. And so we've been forced online but it's actually been an amazing thing for us. We just relaunched our website, Thuzio.com. So I encourage people to go check it out. And you'll see that we're doing culinary events, that we're doing a book release event. David Wright we have this week. And uh, we're launching a new virtual membership to accompany um, you know, some of these live events that we're doing via um, the computer, via Zoom or via a social uh, network. So it's it's been pretty amazing that we've been able to pivot and go from doing one or two events every couple months to five events a week, sometimes five events a day, uh, given the demand that's out there. Amari Stoudemire, Gary Vanderchuk, uh, you have Chef Jose Garces. Uh, yes. So, I mean, and there are other people there on your roster. You just go to Thuzio.com? Yeah, Thuzio.com. Yeah, Thuzio.com. You'll see our, our membership events. We also do private events for certain companies who will contract out to us to book talent. So it's it's actually been a it's been a, a great find for us. Um, you know, you got to be creative when when things like the coronavirus hit. You're, and and some companies have gone under. We've actually been able to pivot and stay afloat. I know a lot of people that do public speaking for a living and they've just been brought to their knees uh, because they have no yeah. chance. But this yeah. is a way to keep it all alive because this is, doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Tiki Barber no. continues to adjust to the defense they're given, you're given. And this time the <laughs> defense, you're, you're competing against the coronavirus and you're finding a seam. Uh, good job, Tiki. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, Brian. Take, take care of you. Uh, uh, continue success on the air, too. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want to get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, go grab it. Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian, thanks so much for listening, everybody. What a weekend we had! Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Continue to have the downloads go up, the ratings go high, and wouldn't happen without you guys. Brett Bear at the bottom of the hour. He'll bring us inside politics and what's at stake with the Supreme Court justice seat being open. Also, the President of the United States is going to be going to Ohio. It looks like they'll do a couple of virtual events on the Joe Biden front. And both sides say they're not really getting ready for that debate, which is now just eight days away. They said they haven't done a lot of rehearsal yet. I think that is crazy. And I know the President likes to wing it. But here, preparing to know what Joe Biden's going to say will definitely help. Uh, even though I think Hillary Clinton's a much better debater, I think he's, she's much smarter, and the president does have a way to do things, just keep in mind, every incumbent struggles in the first debate. Everyone that I can remember struggles. They're not used to debating. They're used to legislating. They're used to uh, putting together, taking, handling difficult problems and actually putting a team together to solve it, uh, let alone being challenged in the debate format. Usually the challenger has been debating all along, not in this case because of the virus and because Joe Biden just didn't earn this nomination. He was given it. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. A number of universities right now preemptively canceling spring break. That includes the University of Wisconsin, Ohio State, the University of Florida in this state. And it comes out, as we've seen cases on a daily basis, steadily decline since late July. However, in recent days, it's starting to tick back up again, fueling concerns of a resurgence. Yeah, spring break makes total sense. Just like they're sending most kids home after Thanksgiving, keep them all together. But my goodness, keep it together. Deaths are down, cases are flat, but the country is still plagued by restrictions. Schools almost all affected at all levels. What would it take for America to be America again? Number two. I see it affecting the presidential race very little, in part because if the court is a chief motivating issue for you, you know who you're voting for at the top of the ticket. Uh, There you go. Kristen Soltis Anderson. I disagree, but she's the expert. State of the game. 43 days to Election Day, nine days to the first debate. We update the race as the president heads to Ohio and Joe Biden doesn't. Number one. She said, dear, in every good marriage, it helps sometimes to be a little deaf. And I have followed that advice, not only in dealing with my dear spouse, but in dealing with my colleagues. Uh, That was a funny RBG. Uh, She passes away sadly at the age of 87. The fight for her seat already overheated and overwhelming almost everything else. What's the best way forward for President Trump for the country and for his nominee? And should he nominate now? He actually just told us on Fox and Friends he's doing it Friday or Saturday. And also, will he end up, he wait for the lame duck, wait for the election result. All sides are weighing in and everybody's angry and fired up. Judge Jeanine Pirro wakes up fired up and she's got a book about tomorrow officially don't lie to me and stop trying to steal our freedom judge welcome back i love how you said everybody's angry and fired up and then you said judge janine wakes up fired up he am i right be angry where the hell's my coffee well, who spilled well, I'll this i'll tell you uh <laughs> i've got coffee on a timer i don't have to worry about that anymore but i'll tell you brian Look, I want to make this real simple, okay? And you already know this, but, you know, just just to be really clear on all of this, the bottom line is the president is a president. He has the power to nominate to the Supreme Court. The Senate has the power to confirm. So now what we have is a Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, who says he will. And it's that simple. The president doesn't stop being president because the Democrats want him not to nominate someone and want to make him go away. You know, their big leader, Barack Obama, is the one who said elections have consequences. So deal with it and stop with the threats of, oh, you know, we're going to play with fire or whatever that quote is. Or we could impeach the president or, you know, we've got more arrows in our quiver. Shame on them. This is a democracy. Have some respect. Conduct yourself with some some reasonable amount of decorum. These are nothing but crybabies who've been crying since the day Donald Trump was elected. And I'm tired of it, and so are the Americans. And if this isn't enough for the American people to come out and say, you know what, I'm tired of the hissy fit, I'm tired of the hate and the anger. Look, all of this started with the left. 
I haven't heard of anybody, you know, being upset and, and uh, uh, not uh, respecting Barack Obama because he was the president because they didn't like him. No, you know, there were a lot of people who didn't like the judge, him, but the we people respected are, the position that he had. But you're and all about president. Hate. They're just haters. But you're the, you're, mm-hmm. you know all about president and the law, and then you have po- politics and president. It was nine months before President Obama uh, called it quits, and he put Merrick Garland up there, and the Republicans say, nope, don't think so. We're not going to look at him. And some are saying, what hypocrites? Now they're saying, we got 43 days, plenty of time. We're going we're we're to put up a nominee on Friday or Saturday. Brian, it's too bad. The hypocrites or the people saying that stuff are not in the position of the president. They cannot bind the president by saying something four years ago. The president has the right under the Constitution to nominate, and the Senate leader has the right to confirm. Okay? And they can do whatever they want. They can't take that right away from them. What they want to do now is they want to add more to the court. They want to pack the court. And they're basically saying the people should basically elect a Supreme Court justice. No, you're wrong again. You're lying again. That's why I wrote the book. Don't lie to me. All right. They're saying that we should wait for the election. No, we shouldn't. The president nominates the person and we elected Donald Trump. One of the fundamental reasons we elected him is because we knew that he was going to be making Supreme Court justice appointments. And that's why he's there. Well, he let now, him do his job. Now, when Judge. You get in power, you can do whatever you want. So and now, by Judge, the way, that's the legal thing. The that's the legal thing. No filibuster for the Supreme Court. So deal with that, too. You know what? There are rules. You abide by them. But the Democrats don't believe in rules. Well, let's talk about politics. Let's talk about politics. What if this nomination blows up Joni Ernst in Iowa, blows up up Cory Gardner in uh, Colorado, uh, hurts Martha McSally in Arizona? Whether you like it or not, the people of those states want moderates to run. And Arizona used to be really red. It's not anymore. Does the president have to weigh this and maybe wait on the vote sometime in the lame duck session or just wait to win? Look, you know what? You're putting too much of the politics into the selection of a Supreme Court justice. You know, I was a judge myself. and, And you know what? To be a judge, I had to run for office. Okay, and I had to be elected to to that uh, uh, superior court position. Now, I get what they're saying. I really do. But at the same time, we don't have we've got a four four court right now. We've got issues that are probably going to come up during the election uh, with this mail in voting and counting ballots after Election Day. We need to have a settled court, a full court complement. And the rest is up to the candidate in that particular state. With all due respect, you know the president. Had, look, Susan Collins has said, "I'm not going to. I'm not going to nominate. I'm not going to vote to confirm." So is Murkowski. Murkowski doesn't run until 2022. Okay, the president thinks it's going to help Cory Gardner, uh, and uh, you know, but that's not the, the most important. We've got to have a full court. There are too many issues that are coming up before the Supreme Court by virtue of the left and the, the fanaticism that they're involved in in trying to stop everything that we're doing in this democracy. Um, we're going to bring you to something in New York. 
they are looking at the anarchist provision at the Department of Justice, and they're looking at Portland, Seattle, and New York City, and then saying you're not you're not protecting your citizenry, you're not stopping the Antifa-like organizations, therefore withholding federal funds. Can they do that, especially here in New York where shootings have doubled? Yeah, you know why? Because what they have done in New York, they have defunded the police and they have told the, the police to stand down. I Look, you know I was in law enforcement. You know I have a lot of friends in the NYPD. The bottom line is they, they are refusing to re- deploy them to scenes where they can make arrests. And so as a result of that, they are pre- preventing police from doing their job. And if they're preventing police from doing their job, then they shouldn't get the Department of Justice monies that they get from the federal government, where they agree to certain conditions, not the least of which is to allow law enforcement to do its job to protect the the uh, people in New York. Enough of this nonsense. All right. Gen- Enough. People need to be protected. The first order of government is the protection of its citizens. You know, my mom always loved you because you could be around our dinner table. This is like every night. Uh, I'm afraid to, just like I'm afraid to interrupt her, I was afraid to interrupt you. Uh, uh, Judge Pirro, let's talk about your book. Like, what prompted this? You had two bestsellers. You really went inside the administration on this. What prompted this? Well, you know, it's, you're right. It's the third in a trilogy of books after Liars, Leakers, Liberals, Radicals, Resistance, and Revenge. Uh, I just couldn't take the lies. And when I was a judge, I used to sit on the bench and look at a defendant. He'd be lying to me. And I just, I mean, I, I, my voice would raise. I would say, Don't lie to me. I hate lies. We all hate lies. And they're even more pronounced when they come from leaders in government. You know, and so I put truth to the lies. I put the light to the darkness. And I've got footnotes to uh, identify that people can use in their arguments with the left. But look, they are trying to uh, create a socialist country to take down capitalism. They want to lock us in the basement. They want to open the borders, defund the police, and then take our guns away on top of it. We cannot have it. This is America. People die to come here, and they fight like hell if we want to send them home to the country of their origin. So I'm not going to take this lightly. And the best way to do it for me is the right. Don't lie to me and stop trying to take away our freedom. Stop with the pandemic stuff. You've got people petrified, afraid to come out. Now, I was just in North Carolina, I must tell you, on Saturday. I gave a speech at the Faith and Freedom Coalition. And, I mean, I was, I was not touching anyone. I wasn't shaking hands. I was in a mask. They all thought I was out of my mind. I mean, they're all hugging each other, and, and you know, it's, it's just – it's different. They've got us petrified. It's a way of controlling us. Yeah. And, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, is a, she's a topic in the book. And if you get the book, I mean, you'll hear my voice clearly and uh, as well as my sense of humor. Well, you know, it's, it's amazing. These, these governors that have done the, these oppressive actions have not p- paid the price in approval ratings. Wolf in Pennsylvania, Murphy in New Jersey, and you have Whitmer yep. in, in Michigan. It's, it's almost as if the people say, I'll go with your word on this. And I'm just wondering, well, in the end, if it's go, we're going to have all this sacrifice when it didn't make much of a difference. Well, you know what? And one of the things I said was, did we even need to shut down in the first place? You know, in my book, I talk about Neil Ferguson, you know, the guy who said you could lose up to two and a half million Americans. And then I did a little studying on his history. This guy is the one who was promoting the mad cow disease. They were killing cows and sheep left and right in Europe. They were killing. They were destroying their own uh, their own businesses. He was wrong then and he's wrong now. You know, and that's the problem when you put your faith in in one person. 
Gotcha. I felt you. With all due respect. I mean, you know, he was a, a, a Bush and then an Obama and then uh, um, uh, uh, he was a Clinton, Bush, Obama, and, and now um, uh, uh, Trump president's uh, appointment. You know, if he was so darn smart and infectious diseases, why weren't we more prepared for this? We weren't. I mean, really. He, no didn't even know what he, he did not him. even know if masks and I'm worked. Not talk- what? He not didn't even, even know masks. if masks They worked. didn't even have the PPEs. Isn't that this guy's job? He's been there over 40 years. He reminds me of Joe Biden. What do you got to show for it? Thanks so and much, that's Jay. what I talk about in the book, too. You yeah. want some history on, on uh, Dr. Fauci? Get my book. You'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a mouthful, believe me. Judge Jeanine Pirro. Her book's out tomorrow. Uh, her show's Saturday, 9 o'clock. Uh, it is called Don't Lie to Me and Stop Trying to Steal Our Freedom. Judge, we'll talk to you again soon. It's going to be an exciting week. Oh, so Brian, it's going to be great. The next 43 days, oh, my goodness. All right, great to talk to you and your listeners. All right, Bye. go get him, Judge. one 408 When we come back, it's your turn again. Uh, and then we have Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour, but a lot going on. I know if you have money in the market, you don't want to look, but we're about 900 points off. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Chris, there will be a vote. There have been some cases, like Justice Ginsburg herself, in which... The nomination and confirmation process took less than 44 days. There have been other cases which it took longer. So it's too soon to say right now, but we will move forward without delay. And that is Tom Cotton laying it out. He he was on the short list for the president to be a Supreme Court nominee, but it's going to be a woman, and he didn't want it anyway. Alex is listening online in Tampa. Alex. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Great. Thanks for listening. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, I'm from Tampa, Florida. First two things. Number one, Barbara Lagoa, she's a Tampa attorney. I'm a Tampa attorney or Florida attorney. And so we're happy to have her mentioned. Well, do you know anything about her personal or when we got the stats, but what do you I, know about her? I mean, she, she was a Florida Supreme Court uh, justice. And so she was there for a year. And then Trump nominated her to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's what I heard. I heard she's a really good uh, judge. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you about uh, your book, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers. I'm reading it right now. I'm about Thank to finish you. it. Um, it's a very, very good book. I really enjoy it. Um, you know, my question to you is, um, you know, other than that book, what's your favorite book? What was your favorite book to write? And how did you enjoy uh, researching and writing uh, Alamo Avengers? Well, uh, the first one, uh, The Games Do Count, was, uh, was uh, the one I couldn't believe I was actually doing a book. 73 interviews on what sports did to help them who they became. And uh, in terms of the Washington book, I said, I'll never be able to write history. That's for, uh, you know, that's for David McCullough and John Meacham. But I thought, what if I tell a short tale of history that's unexplored, unmined, not totally, but basically. And that's what George Washington's Secret Spies was 20 years. I know it was all true. We verified it. There's still so much mystery in it. And when I put it out and it got that response, that allowed me to do Thomas Jefferson, something that's unplowed on his, in his background. And that was his fight against Islamic terror. And it was our first war in that. And then it was heartening to do Andrew Jackson, Battle of New Orleans, who one of the most, the, the rags to riches story, which is Jackson controversy and all. It's only in America. And then Sam Houston, 
You know, we know about the character. We didn't know the role he played in America. And he should have been president of the United States, too, as well as he, uh, being president of Texas. So thanks so much for reading it and, and going through it. Thanks, Alex. Phil, listen on WIBX in Syracuse. Phil. Uh, yes, Brian. Thanks for your show. It's a great show. I enjoyed uh, Appreciate it. The, the, the honesty of it. This whole thing with the Supreme Court, I mean, it's been done 29 times before. Uh, under Republican and Democratic administrations. It needs to be done. It's supposed to operate as an independent branch of the government, you know, from the executive branch. But, you know, this whole thing really boils down to Donald Trump being the outsider. Both groups in Washington, Democrats, Republicans, have been after him from day one because he scares the bejeebers out of him. He comes from left field. He didn't need their money. He didn't need the financing of their of the people that bankroll their parties. And he's a threat to them. And they want him out of office. I mean, they've come after him, you know, with everything. The Russian hoax, everything they can imagine. I mean, when have you ever seen them using their minions in New York State and having, you know, attorney generals going after their back of business financial reports when they weren't even in office? I know. Listen, they're targeting him personally. They got Eric being deposed. The attorney general is going after Eric Trump, the vice president now. Uh, Mark, uh, Mike, uh, Michael Cohen, as bad a guy as he is, they took him out because he was close to the president. They took out the NRA because he's close to the president. Brett Baer next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And the reason Merrick Garland did not get confirmed is because he didn't have the votes because the Republicans, Republicans controlled the Senate. And when you look at Donald Trump's two nominees, you know, uh, Brett Kavanaugh got one Democratic vote um, and, uh, you know, Neil Gorsuch got three. If that had happened for Merrick Garland, even if he gotten three Republicans uh, to switch sides back in 2016, he still would have been at 49 votes and would not have been able to be confirmed. And so the fact is, it's who's got the votes, who the American people have put in charge of the Senate. And that's why Merrick Garland didn't move forward. Um, if there had been pressure on Mitch McConnell from people in his own caucus saying, we want to vote for Merrick Garland, put him up, he would have been put up. And there was no pressure from that. Uh, Merrick Garland got some accolades uh, from the president of the United States today because he's a great guy, uh, fine jurist, but not my not my choice. He didn't get his say. But the president's going to be putting up a choice Friday or Saturday. He told us that on Fox and Friends today, and he's going to look to get it done before November third. Does that surprise Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor special report? Uh, you can listen to him uh, hear it every night at six. But Brett, we want a preview. Are you surprised that the Republicans moving this quickly? I don't. I think the president, you know, feels like this is his uh, constitutional duty and he's got a Republican Senate, as opposed to back then with the Merrick Garland, which one party controlled the Senate, the other controlled the White House. That's how they're explaining it, despite all of the hypocrisy, which, by the way, goes both ways. I only Republican side being played, but Democrats were saying the opposite of what they're saying now, too. Um, so I'm not surprised. I think um, this sees the judges and justices and the staggering number that they've pushed through uh, to be his legacy. 
And no matter what happens if the, in the election, um, you know, it looks like this is going to move forward. And uh, that will be game-changing for the U.S. Supreme Court. And then the reaction could decide the election. It might motivate Democrats to take the Senate, take the House, and then uh, stack the court, stack the court, and then um, bring in four different commonwealths and make them states and everything else that they could do with the Electoral College on down. Yeah. The problem with that is that Joe Biden is pitching himself as this bipartisan peacemaker that that he's somehow moderate. He says he's liberal, but, you know, tries to find a solution with his his colleagues across the aisle. Well, stacking the court and, you know, bringing in other states and impeaching the president to try to prevent this, I mean, that's not exactly the moderate option. And um, so I, I think that he's going to have to walk a line there on his elect pitch if that's what – AOC and Chuck Schumer and all these people are saying, and they're grabbing the microphones now. So you have to, how many, uh, they can only lose uh, three senators, I guess, and then it'll be 50-50. And right now they lost Murkowski, but she has not committed to not voting for this justice nominee in the lame duck session should the president lose. And Collins says, no, we're not, we're not voting for November 3rd. Has Mitt Romney ever bailed out President Trump? No, but... There will be a lot of pressure in Utah um, from conservatives, I think, to, you know, to change the structure of the court. And I think, you know, there, it'll be fascinating to watch that vote because it's the Mitt Romneys. It's the Cory Gardners. Uh, you've already mentioned Murkowski and Collins. Uh, and don't forget, if Martha McSally loses in Arizona – that's a special election, and Mark Kelly, the Democrat, could be installed on November 30th, which means that he has a vote in the process, too, depending on where it is at that point. Uh, absolutely. So Joe Biden took to the microphones yesterday, which he doesn't do often, and he, he said this. What will happen if the president goes through with this? Cut seven. This vote, this fight, this nomination— will not be over until the Senate votes, if it does vote. Winning that vote, if it happens, is everything. Action and reaction, anger and more anger, sorrow and frustration at the way things are in this country now politically. That's the cycle that Republican senators will continue to perpetuate if they go down this dangerous path that they put us on. We need to de-escalate, not escalate. Yeah, I don't know if history will live up to that when you look at the way Harry Reid went about getting rid of the filibuster, and he'd say he did that because Mitch McConnell wouldn't give his judges a say. So I don't know who started it, but I think they're equal opportunity offenders. Listen, if he's talking about de-escalating, packing the U.S. Supreme Court with (laughs) three more judges is not exactly toning it down. You know what I mean? I I think that the pitch is a little muddled if that's where the conversation has already gotten to. And um, so we'll see how he frames it. I mean, you know, the other thing is, is that the president's going to come out with this nominee and then there'll be three days and then we'll see them on a debate in Cleveland. 
And um, this obviously changed Chris Wallace's blueprint for how that all is going to go down. Right. And Chris Wallace will be the moderator on Tuesday. So here's the president of the United States on Fox and Friends this morning on what he's going to do. Cut 47. What if it cost Cory Gardner a seat, Joni Ernst a seat? It might help Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, but it could hurt others who are on the cusp with more battleground-type states. If you have the vote before November 3rd. Well, I think it's going to help. I think it's going to help Cory. I do. I think it's going to help Cory Gardner. He's a great guy, by the way, and very, very loyal to the party and loyal to his state. He loves his state, and I know that for a fact. I think it's going to help Mitch. I think it's going to help Everybody, if they do it wrong, I think it's if they do it if they do it as they should be doing, it's going to help everybody. Uh, I think it's going to help our country. You want to know the truth? Not everybody feels that way, but what I was talking about too, Brett. How do you gauge how how it is going to impact Joni Ernst, Susan Collins, Corey Gardner, Tom Tillis? Yeah, I noticed you chose the uh, sound bites where you're asking the question, and I, I like that about right. About, I, yeah, I noticed you, you, you know, took a lot. That's why I, yeah, I noticed that you, you go do a lot of Stephen Hayes stuff on your <laughs> show. <laughs> I do. Um, I think that it goes both ways. You know, it, it, I think for Republican Senate seats, it would be better if the vote was not yet. You know what I mean? They, they get through committee and the vote has not happened on Election Day uh, because they can they can pitch that. For Republicans. But, you know, Democrats are going to be fired up either way. I think that this does deliver and it does refocus, just like the Brett Kavanaugh hearings did, refocus independents and right-leaning, you know, moderates who say, oh, yeah, this is why I, I voted for him. I don't really like him, but this is actually why I need to vote for him. And uh, that's the president. And so – you know, how it works in those Senate seats, I think, is a state-by-state deal. That's incredible. Uh, so we'll find out what's, what's happening with that. And with the uh, pandemic in particular, uh, the president's, some people say, is very vulnerable on it. He came out Friday and he said, I got a vaccine. A little bit later, they said, we don't really have a vaccine. So the the mixed messages there, I don't think, helps him. Well, I agree. And there has to be a really smooth rollout to this um, and the initial you know, between the president and the CDC director on the same day, um, you know, didn't help the smoothness. Um, but I, I think that, you know, their hope is that just by having the vaccine, you know, ready to go, approved, um, FDA approved, that that will, in essence, give mm-hmm. some some feeling of hope uh, to people who I can't see the end of the tunnel. So, Brett, what do you think is going to be in your show today? Do you have any idea when you start scripting it and have, when have you picked up your panelists? <laughs> yeah, so I've got a big panel. I've got uh, Bill Bennett, Britt Hume, Chris Steyerwalt, and Julie Pace with the AP. And uh, we'll be dealing a lot with this, the process, the people, who exactly are. I think it's going to be a good show. Yeah, Brett, can I just say, I'm not going to tell you to do anything, but if you were going to pick a soundbite from the interview today, could you pick my <laughs> my questions? Is that possible? I think it's definitely possible. All right. It's definitely possible. I have my I'll finger crossed. the double box where you can see <laughs> ah! you asking it. Right. As opposed to the ones where I'm looking distracted. 
That's it. All right, Brett. Thanks so much. We'll see you tonight at 6. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to find out there's more to know and take some of your calls in just a moment. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Are are Democrats missing an opportunity not having talked about the potential vacancy earlier on in this race? Uh, Probably. But, uh, you know... We we all respected Justice Ginsburg a lot, and we thought we had no business talking about her as if she were already gone. And we were hoping she would live so, uh, longer. And so uh, I don't think there's anything to be done about that. I, I know what he's saying. He's saying that you know, it's not good to talk about somebody who's still alive, but you could talk about retiring. But she beat cancer three times. Uh, a phenom. It's so good to hear somebody talk positively from Republicans and Democrats. The president would not uh, dare say anything and didn't even wasn't even tempted to do what he's doing with John McCain. And he obviously had a problem with some people, but he does not have a problem with her, even though she's a very, very big critic of his. And she definitely crossed the line in making comments about him when he was a candidate. So that was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was on a lot. So Bill Clinton was on because he's the one who nominated her. And that's fine. But I just can't believe the decline in him. He's George W. Bush's age. I mean, just because he was president first doesn't mean there's that much of a difference. I hope he's okay. You know, don't wish anything bad on him. But, man, I I could not believe how quickly the decline was. But what's happening during this, and we're going to get to more to know, and and I'll get your calls in a second. A lot of these lefties are coming out of the woodwork, and it's Alexander Ocasio-Cortez especially. She appears at a press conference with Chuck Schumer. Since when does Chuck Schumer need some help in New York? But she's going to run for his seat. Mark my word. She is nothing but ambitious. Brooklyn, New York. She's speaking right after after Schumer. But Schumer doesn't take his mask off. She does. Cut 16. We need to make sure that we mobilize on an unprecedented scale to ensure that this vacancy is reserved for the next president. And we must also commit to using every procedural tool available to us to ensure that we buy ourselves the time necessary. Again, it's all she ever talks about is mobilizing. Just do something, legislate, come together on something. There's something fueling her, and there are forces fueling her and the rest of the squad that I can't get my finger on. But it is noteworthy that she's disappearing during this whole sprint to the finish because they know she's poisoned to moderates. So Senator Barrasso is listening to her and says this, got 17. The thing that really is telling to me is, and you showed the video today of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at a press conference with Chuck Schumer. I will tell you, anybody that's followed Chuck Schumer for a long time knows he doesn't like to share the camera or the microphone with anyone. She is the de facto speaker of the House because Nancy Pelosi is terrified of her, and Chuck Schumer is worried about a primary from her in two years in New York. She is running the Democrat Party and wants to run it further and further to the left, and that's a big problem for the country. Wow. Uh, let's go to uh, Peter. Listen on KIVA in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Peter. Hey, Brian. What's on your mind? Uh, I don't know if you okay. Uh, that uh, I'm calling about the whole RPG yep. thing, and go like ahead. I said, I told him 
you know, Molly Hemingway said, and I agree with her and a lot of other people do, that essentially, bottom line, she was an activist judge. And so she would try to push things in her direction, what are, you know, the, her perspective, what the outcome of for Uncle Sam, the federal government, what she wanted the outcome to be. Well, then they're saying now that, uh, you know, on her deathbed or before, her, you know, in the last couple of weeks, that she doesn't want this president, whoever is president now, to appoint her successor. Well, my point is she's trying to direct the business of the federal government from the grave now. And my point is, does this ever end? Do these, you know, I know. to me, these people are megalomaniacs. Peter, I hope it doesn't sound, uh, I hope it doesn't sound crass, but I have no interest in what she preferred happened to her seat. It has nothing to do with her. It's not like it's her belonging. She doesn't own that seat. If, if her last wish is that America would come together or stop fighting, I understand that. But it's not her seat to, to will. And it's not her last wish to grant. And she was the one pushing for Merrick Garland to fill his seat with him. And she said eight is not a good number. We need nine. These are quotes from her last time. You know, I feel terrible that she had to deal with cancer three times. It's unbelievable that she beat it every time. This time, sadly, at 87, she wasn't able to. But that last wish goes against what she was saying three years ago. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, Eric online in Louisiana. Eric. Yes, good morning, Brian. This is Eric from Greater Louisiana. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I was just uh, wanting to make a little bit of a point, if you don't mind. Just get to the uh, point, please. Okay. Uh, educating the American people regarding the appointment of the nominee for the vacancy, I believe it's actually his duty. I mean, if we look at the facts here, it, the, the Constitution is a grant of authority and power, not – I'm sorry, limitation on the government's authority and power, not a grant of any rights. So perhaps maybe the American people should be educated on the fact that President Trump actually has the duty – not a right, not a... Gotcha. That, that's true, and that's what President Obama was saying, too. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Well, global warming is starting these forests, and six men in Oregon uh, who are arsonists have been accused of intentionally setting the blaze that has that fire blowing out of control in those three states, Washington, California, and Oregon. Instead, some blazes were attributed to petty beefs, relationship troubles, and enjoying the smell of smoke. One of the alleged arsonists, Jedediah Fulton, was discovered setting fires July 28th in the woods outside Glide after he became upset with a member of the local forest protection. That is sinful. Elias Prendergast is the other. Uh, what a joke. Next. Good Morning America has named a G- GMA3 host. It's Amy Rohrbach, who's fantastic, and as well as T.J. Holmes, who's also great. They start September 21st. The Michael Strahan Show with Sarah and Kiki did not work. Next, congratulations to uh, Marquise, uh, Marquise Pouncey. He wore the name of a fallen officer, not of an African-American who was shot by a cop. And I think people are ticked off in game number two. He wore the name Eric Kelly in the back of his helmet. Kelly was one of the three Pittsburgh police officers who were killed in 2009. Next. I'm going to go to the next one. Americans begin feeling the work week anxiety just before 4 p.m. on Sundays. Pete, was that your, was that your belief? That is my belief. Every time it's like 359 and 59 seconds, I, your, your your name just pops in my head. I'm like, oh, no. Not him again. It's not Eric? It's Eric me? is all the time. That's 24-7, 365. Okay, that's constant stress. Next, people who exercise at least four times per week, happier and more successful. That's great news for me. By a 75-25 margin, 
Pete and Eric, do you weigh in on that? Do you work out? Eric. I do, but not as often as I should. Pete. I hit the treadmill every day. All right. That's why you're so happy. One minute you're anxiety-filled. For the next segment, you're happy. Yeah, although I've been... I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.